So today, um, we'll be talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Um, you know, after a profound teaching on agape love, uh, in, the, in the context of ex- exercising the spiritual gifts, Paul comes back uh, to finish his thoughts on spiritual gifts, especially focusing on prophecy and tongues. You know, because the, uh, the Corinthian church had, uh, had this uh, issue, well, they had a lot of issues, as we've been going through for the last, I don't know how many months, all the issues that the Corinthian church had this is worth another issue, right? And that, that is uh, this issue of boasting about certain gifts and really undermining the unity of the church. Because some people who had more spectacular, more visible, more supernatural type of gifts, such as speaking in tongues or prophesying or uh, working miracles and what have you, they just felt really, they, were, were, they felt like they should be elevated, more recognized, adored by people. And there was just a lot of kind of undermining of the unity in the church. So Paul makes sure, I mean, yeah, Paul makes sure to emphasize that agape must, uh, agape must be foundational in every aspect of Christian life and ministry. That as we even just exercise and use our gifts, that has to be founded on the true, genuine love, the self-sacrificing agape love. You may have the most amazing gift of the Spirit, drawing the admiration of the whole church, but without agape, you are nothing. Your gift means little if you do not love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Unless you serve them, with that kind of mindset and love. You are nothing. Your gift is nothing. It doesn't amount to anything, really. And this agape love must be understood in light of the gospel because without it, we will fail to love other people as Christ has loved the church. It's just simply we cannot on our own. The source of this agape love is not within us. It's not like we try to will it to, to, to love other people. It is only when we understand and trust in Christ that He would give us, through the Holy Spirit, this power and the capacity to love people as Christ loved us. So with this framework, we are to understand the purpose and the function of the spiritual gifts. And so the first uh, point that I want to bring out to you is this, uh, I didn't really prepare the, uh, <clears throat> the PowerPoint, but it is the, the rightful place of the spiritual gifts in the life of the church. That is the first thing that I want to talk about. The rightful place of the spiritual gifts in the life of the church. Now in this passage, <clears throat> Paul encourages the, the readers to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, right? And what is striking is that, is that with all the confusion, misuse, and abuse of the spiritual gifts in the church, in the Corinthian church, Paul never instructs them to stop exercising or stop using the spiritual gifts 
He didn't say, he didn't come out and say, I cannot believe how, you know, exercising of your spiritual gifts are really hurting, you guys are really hurting the church by using your spiritual gifts in a certain way with all this boasting and looking down on other people with less uh, visible gifts. Stop with all this nonsense. You know, I forbid you to prophesy or speak in tongues anymore, right? Or perform miracles or anything like that. It is confusing, confusing you all. And, you know, it's really driving a wedge between you guys. You know, it's better that, uh, it's better that you don't exercise a sp- uh, spiritual gifts at all, right? It's better to do nothing than hurting people. So I forbid you. He does not say that. He actually does the opposite, knowing all the abuse and misuse that is going on in this, uh, the Corinthian church with the spiritual gifts. He's actually encouraging people, desire, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire them. You know, if I, uh, as a pastor, identify a source that is causing division and confusion in the church, I will probably try to banish it or, or strongly discourage it because of the source, what's happening and all this. But he understands it's not the gift itself. It is a sinful heart in man that is causing all this. So Paul addresses this issue not by forbidding the exercise of the gifts, but by correcting their ignorance and misunderstanding. And he encourages them to desire the gifts even more, not less, with all the confusion. He says, no, you got to desire more. Right? Wouldn't it have been easier if he had just told them to stop speaking in tongues or prophesying? Obviously, he understood the value of these gifts and wanted them to flourish. Why is it? Why did he say all this? Why, even in the midst of all the confusion and just the, um, you know, just the disunity that is going on in the church, why is he saying desire even more, earnestly, the spiritual gifts? That's because Paul understood that the spiritual gifts comes, gifts, they uh, come from God himself, and that they are for employment, not in personal enjoyment. It is not for us to say, oh, oh man, I love my gift. You know, I'm going to make sure that other guys would admire my gift, and thereby me, right? The focus is on me, moi, right? Um, God did not make a mistake. Gifting the church with, with these gifts. He knew you know, what he was doing. And he meant these, all these gifts to advance his kingdom. And they are not for deciding the pecking order in the church. They are not for figuring out who, is more, who should be more prominent, who should be more visible in the church. That is not what the spiritual gifts are for. He meant, uh, uh, and, and they are strictly for fulfilling God's purpose in the life of the church. And gifting does not imply maturity or character of that person 
who has the gifts. It really doesn't. Oftentimes, we kind of equate or like kind of associate. If you have certain like really like visible gifts, then that person must be so mature and so spiritual, right? That their person is beyond uh, the reproach or they are not really subject to any accountability. The late Ravi Zacharias, he is a highly world-renowned Christian apologist, and he has really influenced me in many ways. Just his, the, I remember the first time he, uh, I heard his uh, message, it was at Urbana thing. I mean, I, mean, I wasn't there, but I saw, saw his um, tape. And I was like, it was so deep and so profound. And I had to like go back, and back then, you know, you had to rewind. There, is, there was no like DVD, so it was like a tape, so I had to rewind. Every sentence meant so much, and I had to like, what, what, what did he just say? And then I would just catch something, and I was like, I think there's something else he said. And so I would go back and just repeat one sentence over and over again just to get the glimpse of what he was saying. It was so profound and, and um, highly respected, amazing man of God. But after his passing this year, we are finding out that he was not, um, he has been, you know, involved in some unfortunate, not unfortunate, um, but, you know, like, um, like sexual harassment. Uh, it, it was very shocking for me to hear that. I, I thought of all people, someone like him, of his profile, of his influence on the church of Jesus Christ, that he would never be something like that. I, I just assume, and I just believe that there's no way with all the knowledge he possessed, just the way he was able to communicate God's truth, to the whole church, not just certain people, but the whole church. The gift that he had, just how he was able to, you know, communicate a profound Christian truth in a way that we could, the regular average Joe and the average Christian could understand. I was like, man, what a gift. What, a, what an amazing servant of God. He, he certainly was. But still, he was not immune from the temptations. And he was not really held accountable. He confided in, and he, he said that, that he really doesn't have any friend. Because like, everybody said, whoa, Ravi Zacharias, whoa, you are, we are not worthy, right? So nobody dared to ask him how he was doing, how his walk with the Lord was, or if there was maybe any uh, dangerous woman in his life. Because they just assumed, whoa, somebody like you, there's no way he, he, you, you would fall, right? You should be immune from the temptations. You see, that's just because he's so gifted or he knows so much does not necessarily mean that he was, uh, he was perfectly fine. John Grisham, like Machen, an influential conservative theologian of last century, he was racist with all the, the theolog theological, like, uh, understanding and knowledge that he had, the gift to the church that he was, and yet he couldn't really fully grasp. Just because you are a great theologian or have great gifts, even if it's regarded highly, does not necessarily mean that you are really living a life of love, truly living a life that reflects God's glory. You know, as um, chapter 12, 11 says, gifts are apportioned 
as the Spirit wills. As a Spirit, it is in His sovereign plan for the Spirit of God to give certain gifts, allocate them, or just give them to certain people for His purpose and for His glory. They are given to further His cause. When there is divine uh, intention and will, we dare not forbid the gifts until their purpose is served. You know, in, uh, in the chapter that we just uh, spent, uh, spent some time in, chapter 13, verse 8 and 10, through 10 says this, love never, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but, um, but when, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So Paul is talking about these gifts, prophecy, speaking in tongues, and all these things, will cease when Christ returns in his glory and in his power. When he comes, when the perfect comes, until then, we are to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. It is to be desired. It is to be exercised. I know uh, there is a group of uh, uh, Christians, what we call the dispensationalists, they don't see it that way. They believe that when he t- talks about the perfect comes, they mean the, the canonization or when the, the, whole, uh, the scripture was finally, it became standard. Then that, that, that's what it means. And so they believe that because the, the gift of prophecy or the gift of tongues were only valid during the, the time when the, the, the new, especially the New Testament was being formulated or it was being written. But now that we have the, the complete word of God, these gifts are no longer needed. So they believe that these gifts have ceased, that they are no longer valid. I, I, I respectfully disagree, disagree with them. And um, so once, and once again, that's why it's kind of a controversial topic because there are disagreements or different ways to interpret or understand the scripture. Right? But for me, I think uh, we, we do not forbid them uh, or we say, just conclude that, that these gifts have ceased with the coming of the, 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 the New Testament, right? So the, the thing uh, that Paul talks about here is earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, right? Because it has a rightful place in the life of the church. Even in 21st century that we live in, that God has a purpose for us, and each and every one of us has at least one spiritual gift, and how are we to use it, right? We are not to really discourage people from uh, using these gifts that God has given to us. Even, it's, even if it's prophecy or speaking in tongues. As uncomfortable as it may make, make us, right? If they do have them, right? We are to encourage it. And for us to even just desire these spiritual gifts. Not that, you know, that we can twist God's arm and say, yeah, I want it, I want it, and then God will give it to us, but desire the spiritual gifts for the sake of the church. And the second and the last point that, uh, uh, that, this, uh, ver- that this text that, uh, talks about is the primary purpose of the spiritual gifts. The primary purpose of the spiritual gifts. Having set the discussion within the proper framework of love, Paul turns his attention 
to prophecy and tongues here. You know, because the Corinthians have exaggerated the, the importance of the gift of tongues, he emphasizes actually that here in this passage and in, in, in the rest of the chapter, he actually emphasizes the, the understandable gifts. Right? In verse, uh, actually we didn't read it in verse 19, it says this, Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. He say, I'd rather, yeah, I want you guys to really desire uh, speak, uh, you know, just tongues, speaking in tongues, but in the life of the church, I would rather speak five words that people can understand, people, uh, the instructions that people can really fully grasp. I'd rather do it than, than the five words that would make sense to people speaking the truth of God, than speaking 10,000 words in a tongue. So he's emphasizing how important it is to look at everything in the context of the life of the church. So how, how are these two different? The one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, because no one understands him, as it says in verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to man, but to God. For, what, uh, for no one understands him. Right? And so that's what he's saying. So here, I think um, Paul seems to be talking about something more than the foreign language when he's talking about tongue. Mentioned in uh, Acts chapter 2, you know, and the day of Pentecost. And when uh, they were given, when they started speaking in tongues, it was an actual human language that people could understand. So it was really for people to also hear. But it seems like here, Paul is saying, no, speaking in tongue is also for, it's not really speaking to men, but to God. Right. So possibly, he's talking about a prayer language used in, a, an, used in an intimate setting. It is possible. It's not definite but we can't be certain. And definitely there is, there is a case that can be made that a tongue here is a human language, not a prayer language, because the word translated tongue here, it is a normal uh, Greek word, uh, normal Greek term for language. So it's really hard to be definitive either way. Right? It could be just tongue. It, would be, it has to be a certain, uh, definitely a foreign language, that we may not be able to understand, or it could be understood, depending on like how you interpret this as a prayer language that speaks to God and not really to man. Um, but it's just a case can be made both ways, so it's really hard for me to, I don't know why I'm like stuck at this like gift, you know, speaking in tongues and prophecies. Somehow like every time this passage comes, it's just my turn to speak. Um, but anyways, um, not that I'm complaining, um, but um, so it, it's, for me, it, it is hard for me to be definitive. So that is this gift of tongues. And prophecy, once again, uh, it is understood to be the speaking forth of God's truth under the immediate leading of the Holy Spirit. And that's how um, I would understand how to define uh, prophecy, right? 
And so that, um, so in that way, I know people once again have different understanding and uh, definition of prophecy. Uh, but um, personally, I, I would say it is not identical to preaching uh, because the preacher, when he speaks the word of God, he meditates on the word of God, right? He meditates on it, he studies it, and he interprets the written word as instructed by the Holy Spirit. So there is this deliberate process involved. When the preacher, when the, gift of, when the gifted teacher speaks, preaches the word of God, it, it's a more deliberate, like, time. There, you have to give them time to think it through, pray through, study it, and really interpret it carefully as best as he can, right? So there is this, like, time that is involved, and it's a very deliberate process to preach the word of God. Whereas, <clears throat> the prophecy is more of the message that comes in a flash of revelation. It's not something that uh, prophets or uh, uh, but a prophecy does not come. It's like the, the prophets that think, okay, so let me just think about this for, uh, for uh, I'm going to think about it for a week. Uh, and they say, make sure that, you know, like what I'm about to say, right, uh, I'm, I'm going to formulate what I'm going to say, right? But it's more of just like uh, as he waits on the Lord and as, you know, God just gives it in a flesh, gives, reveals and just speaks forth. Uh, his message, and he would just say it, right? So in that way, it's a little different. And so the, the, the bottom line here is a prophecy speaks to man. And it can be understood, and it edifies the church. Because when you speak, or when you prophesy, people understand what you are saying. Speaking in a tongue, on the other hand, it speaks to God, not man. And it is not understood, unless there is an interpreter and it edifies the self, not the church. And what he emphasizes here is the preferential uh, desirability, I don't know if that's a word, um, or the primacy of prophecy over tongues. In verse 5, it says, Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the, the church may be built up, right? So he said, yeah, actually the one who speaks, who prophesies, that, that it, it is greater than someone who speaks in tongues, right? So... Um, why did he say that? Why would you say that prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues? What is his reasoning? Well, it comes down to the question of who does it edify? Who does it edify? Gift of tongues is more for personal edification. It only builds up oneself unless there is interpretation. Right? Somehow, the one who speaks in a tongue is encouraged and comforted even though he doesn't exactly understand the, con uh, the content. I guess that's how God would you know, edify that person. So it's built up, but it's just him. By contrast, prophecy builds up the church. In verse 3, it says, On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. It is directed to the people of God 
and meets the needs of the human heart. That the deep needs that we have is upbuilding. We need encouragement and consolation. I remember uh, many, many, many years ago when I was in my uh, mid-30s, I was, uh, I was in this Christian gathering and um, there was a speaker who came and spoke. And um, I think he had a gift of prophecy. And um, so he had some, he said, at the end of his um, you know, lecture, he said, I have, a, you know, I have some words. I feel like the Lord is leading me to speak to some people. And then um, I happened to be like kind of near him. And then it's the first time seeing me, right? I don't know him. He doesn't know me. And, um, and there was a time when I was like really, you know, in, in my mid-30s, once again, I, I got married when I was 40, right? So I was like, God, you know, I was just like really discouraged. Um, it's like I saw all my friends getting married and moving on with their lives. And here I am being in ministry and being a single guy, right? And I was just trying to deal, you know, just pull you with God and bargain with God. You know, God, you know, it's not good for your kingdom. It's not good for your ministry if I remain single because I can't really talk to any sisters because they think that I'm kind of hitting on them and things. So it's, it's your loss, God, if, if, uh, if I don't get married. So God, I think you should let me get married. Right? I mean, I even like thought like that. And um, I was very discouraged at that time about that. But I didn't tell people there, right? They didn't know uh, what I was going. I didn't really share like that with because it's a very personal thing at the time. And and then the guy, uh, the the person who had a gift of prophecy, I think, he came to me and he had a word, a prophetic word. And then he said that uh, that uh, when you see, uh, when you meet your wife, you will know that she will be your wife. And it was a very simple word, right? But the first thing that struck me was, how the heck does he know that I am single? Or maybe, maybe because I didn't have, like, ring or something. Uh, but I don't think he really just checked my finger to see if I was single. Because, you know, there are some married people who do not wear rings either. And so anyways, um, I, I know he didn't really check my finger or anything. He just looked at me in the eyes. And so, but then it, it just encouraged me so much at that time because I was so discouraged about that. I was really discouraged. I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I am, how, how, how can I even just continue on? And. I was very discouraged about that area. And when I heard that thing, the first thing I was like, how does he know that I'm single? Or like, how does he know? And the only conclusion is, because I, we never talked before anything, it had to, come from, had, had to come from the Lord. And so it was, and, but anyways, it was just very comforting at that time, right? It, 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 so, so prophetic word can really encourage the church. Um, so I think uh, the, the bottom line is who it edifies is the, the important distinction. And it tells us the primary purpose of the spiritual gifts, and that is the edification of the church, building up of the church. The wonder of Christianity is when we turn to God, He endows us with spiritual gifts to build up the church. And that is how God gets glorified as we are strengthened and as we are encouraged as we are comforted. As spiritual gifts are fully utilized by each member for the sake of the church, our faith, our love for the Lord grows. And because of that edification, we build up the church even more. Because when we are truly edified, 
We don't simply submit and say, oh, more God, more. I want more of this, and I'm going to make it and hold it, and I'm just going to make it my own. As our capacity to love grows, as our understanding and capacity to love grows for God, it naturally, our capacity to love other people grows. And that's how the church gets edified. Right? So that is like a, it's like a virtuous cycle. When some members of the church are sitting on the sideline, not using their God-given gifts, they are not honoring God. I know this is a, a little, um, it's not very, you know, like feel-good type of way to end it, but they are not. They are not honoring God. When you do not serve the purpose of your spiritual gifts, you are dishonoring God. You cannot treat it like a trophy that simply just collects dust um, in the shelf. When he called you to be his children, he has given you at least one spiritual gift. And that really confirms that, that you are, you indeed belong to Christ. So that the church of God the body of Christ may be edified. So the question is, are you doing that? Are you using your spiritual gifts? You know, if a generous person entrusts you with, say, like 100 iPads, brand new, right, meant to be distributed among the kids in the underserved community for their schoolwork, but if you are just sitting on them at home in your house, are you really honoring the person, his intention, his desire, if he has entrusted you with distributing all those iPads for the sake of the kids? You are not honoring him. But Pastor Wujin, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. What I say is do not let that be the reason that you are not involved. Start serving. Start serving in the area that where maybe you have a heart for. You know, we all are wired differently. And some of us have certain uh, desire for certain areas of ministry. Some people, they love to like uh, host and just uh, show hospitality. There are certain people who love to do that. And it's not like they're like, we have to just like you know, choke their, you know, their neck and say, you have to like, be so hospitable and just be nice to people. No, it, it just flows as they are, are love, uh, understand the love of Christ. It just flows out of them. It, it just gives them joy. It energizes them to bring people over, invites them, have fellowship with them. It's a gift. Only if you want to serve. So like, you got to just start serving. And start, now my suggestion is start with in the area that you really just are passionate about. If you really are passionate about like, you know, uh, spreading the gospel, maybe that God may have, uh, God may, uh, have given you uh, the, the, the gift of evangelism or, 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 or different, different areas, gift of serving, right? gift of admin, all these different gifts God may have given you, maybe usually in the areas where you are really, really have a heart for. Not necessarily all the time, because I know there are people who may not be as uh, gifted, uh, in certain areas. I mean, they may have the heart, but may not maybe as uh, gifted in that area. But, but start with, start serving in the area that you have a heart for. And you find out that you are not that gifted in that area or, you know, whatever, then 
hey, serve somewhere else, right? Hey, trial and error is fine when you are trying to figure out what your spiritual gifts. Just do not let that be the reason why you are not involved. Oh, I don't, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I didn't know either. When I, when I became, I, I had no idea. Nobody told me. God never like, appeared to me in dream and said, Wujin, this is your gift, so you are to use it. Nothing ever ha- like that ever happened. I just started serving. I, just, I, you know, I started with, um, you know, back in those days in the 90s, they had this really huge, you guys don't know, that's this bulky like projector, overhead projector. Those are pretty heavy stuff. It was a really big stuff. These days, you know, we got a little dinky, you know, like the projectors. But back in those days, it was like huge. And then it's, it sticks out and you have to like reflect it and then just you know, project it onto the screen and all those things. But that's how I, I didn't know, I, I wanted to serve God. I wanted to serve the body, but I didn't know what my gifts were. I didn't know anything. So I said, People did, you know, people needed somebody to just go and carry, you know, look for the, the overhead projector in church because we didn't have our own in our, uh, in our college group. So I would just go all over the church looking for, you know, an uh, overhead projector that was sitting around. And I would just get it. And I said, yes, I got it. I'm just going to carry it to the church and then bring it and just set it before him. And then just you know, doing the, the transparency and then just moving it up and down. And it was joy. I loved it. Um... Was it my spiritual gift? I don't know. But I just started somewhere. I started serving. So do not let that be the reason why you are not serving. Just because you don't start serving somewhere. Start somewhere. And by trial and error, you may be able to find where God has gifted you the best. Right. It is no, there is no dishonoring when you endeavor to find your gift. When you don't bother to find it out and let it stay dormant, now, that's a different story. May we be a church that honors God by exercising all the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to each and every one of us. We were given all these precious gifts so that we can edify, so that we can build up, so that we can encourage comfort and build up brothers and sisters in Christ. That is God's intention. God is will for us, so may we honor God by doing that. Let's pray. Father, we turn to you at this time, and Lord, as we come before you, um, Lord, teach us to really examine uh, whether we, what kind of gifts that we may have. For those of us uh, who feel like they don't really know what kind of gift that they have, Lord, make it clear to them and allow them to start serving, start somewhere, and that you would, in time, lead them to find and to fine-tune their gifts so that all of us, all of us, may be involved, that all of us may utilize the gifts that you have given to us for your glory, not for personal gain, not for personal promotion, but for your glory, that we would do so. And Father, we also pray for a couple of our members whose parents are ill and going through a lot. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them, encourage them, that they would look to you all the more, that you would comfort them, 
you would guide them every step of the way. And Father, we also pray for uh, this church. Pray that you would uh, continue to uh, lead us without you really, Lord, that we will easily fall apart. So Lord, sustain us, preserve us, and allow us to thrive for your glory. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.